Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello, and welcome. This is Brooke Fulton, your host and assistant writer to Ken Vernon, the inspired author of the e-book, Revelation of Revelation, A Total Fraud. What you are about to hear this episode of Revelation of Revelation has never been revealed before now in audio format. We want you to listen in now as we introduce today's program, this one-of-a-kind program where Scripture speaks the truth through the in-depth Scripture studies of Ken Vernon. When directing your browser, as we said on the previous episode of the regularly scheduled website, revelationofrevelation.com, you will not find it up and running at this present time. And the two reasons, uh, one is that the publishers are uh, having a website built for Ken's book, Revelation of Revelation, to mirror the, of course, website and complement the book. So stay tuned for developing details on that. And now the author, Ken Vernon, and today's Revealed Truth Explained. Hello, Ken. Hello, Brooke. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Thanks for coming. If Nancy's out there, our special guest tonight, hello, Nancy. Thanks for joining us. And uh, if you have any questions that's pressing on your mind at this time, you would like to get it off before we begin, or simply wait for the program to come to the end portion of it, you can go ahead and do it either way. If there are At any present, the, Ken, yeah, there are no uh, pre-programmed questions here, so introduce the program, and if any questions are asked, we'll have them made known to you following this evening's broadcast. Okay. Very good. The title, as you can see, is Lies in Your New Testament. Lies that are difficult to see the first time around, the second time around, or sometimes even a third and fourth time around. Because the people who tampered with the scriptures were very clever, but they didn't understand whose words they were tampering with. Tonight, I will share some of that madness with you, as well as show you that when The Messiah told the apostles that that which is recorded in the Gospel of John that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, would guide the believer into all truth and also show the believer future events. You won't hear that 
preached in too many school in too many churches or congregations or Bible study groups. That scripture is completely missing from Christianity. That the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. Let me show you tonight some lies, some more lies that are in your Bible. And I've chosen the Matthew 24 prophecy because with the time that we have, I hope to go on to show you that the three and a half years that is mentioned in the book of Daniel has a starting point. That those who belong to the Messianic community, those who are in the first fruits, will know exactly the roadmap to follow regarding the three and a half years from that mentioned in the book of Daniel, from that point when great tribulation comes on the earth, trouble such as was not since there was a nation upon the face of the earth until the time of the end, the very end. But before we go there tonight, I'll go to Matthew 24 to begin. Matthew 24 and verse 1. And Messiah went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Well, he said to them, See you not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon the other that shall not be thrown down. Why did he do that? He spoke of the destruction of the temple. They came to show him the buildings of the temple, and his response was to tell them, yeah, I, I, I see those stones. They look beautiful, but they're coming down. He's going to throw them down. Here is a reason why the temple would be thrown down. Very quickly, I will go to 1 Kings chapter 9. And the reason I will is to show you precisely why the king, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Again, you won't learn this from any church organization. And I'll do this from the King James this time. And it came to pass, when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all Solomon's desire, which he had pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time, as he had appeared to him in Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I have hallowed this house which you have built. Put my name there forever. Did you catch that? He's going to put his name in that temple that Solomon built forever. And my eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. That's pretty solid, wouldn't you say? Forever, perpetually. 
Now he goes on to verse 4, and he says, And if you will walk before me as David your father walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded you, and will keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom upon Israel forever. Another forever. Huge forever promises. As I promise your father David, saying, There shall not fail you a man upon the throne of Israel. Verse 6. Here it comes. But if you shall at all turn from following me, you or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, verse 7, then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them. And this house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight, and Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. The world knows that from history. Solomon's temple was torn down. The people were thrown out of the land. They were taken into captivity in Babylon. And later, after the second temple was built, one generation, or 36 years, after the Messiah left, the second temple was torn down. The place that he said he would put his name forever, and that there will always be someone related to David, one of his children, all the way downstream, who would sit on his throne. And he said it would be forever. That forever, as we can see from history, was conditional. The temple is not there. There is no king in Israel. We know that for a fact. Now, the reason I went there is to help you to understand Matthew 24, when he told them that the temple was coming down. The temple came down because, as we read in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, we are told that he came on to his own, and they received him not. So just as he promised Solomon all the way back there, centuries before, that he would place his name there and he would be there forever, but if you turn away from following me, this house, which I have hallowed for my name, I will remove from my sight. In 70 AD, that temple was torn down because the people rejected him. He made it clear. He says, but if you or any of your children turn away from following me, this house which I have hallowed, I will cast out of my sight. Again, very quickly, history shows that to be so even to this day. That temple was torn down in 70 AD, and it was never rebuilt. Now, 
Let's move on to the rest of this discourse between the Messiah and his disciples. The temple is gone. That would happen. His disciples knew that that was going to happen. Let's move on. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Not the end of the world, as so many English translations of the Bible record it. It is the end of the age. So this is a very simple question. What shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? He begins. And he said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and pestilence, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. That's pretty easy to see. If you or I were standing there, those are the things that we would be looking for regarding his second coming. Let's go to the book of Acts, and I'll show you how the people who put lies in your Bible are not aware of whose words they're tampering with. Here we go. This is after his resurrection. We're in the first chapter of Acts, and I'll begin in verse 6. When they, therefore, were come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. Why would his disciples ask him a silly question like that? Will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? He told them what to look for when they came to him asking, when shall be, and what are the signs of his coming? Here, the writers who tamper with you, God, with, the, with the book of Acts, would have us believe that the disciples at this point know absolutely nothing. They heard nothing on the Mount of Olives when he answered them. They are people who have no knowledge whatsoever. Again, a silly question, but it's actually a lie because it was designed to promote this father-son hierarchy relationship. In the next verse, he says, but you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and on to the uttermost part of the earth. How do you like that? Here's a stupid question. Will you at this time restore the kingdom? <laughs> he says, no. It's not for you to know that. 
And then he goes on to tell them that you are going to be witnesses to me to the uttermost parts of the earth. So why a silly question? They haven't gone anywhere. They are the apostles now. They haven't left Jerusalem. He told them to remain there in the city until power is given to you from above before you go off to do the work. How could the kingdom be set up at this time? That's pointless. It's a, stu- a, to- a totally stupid question. I hope you see that. If you don't, as we always tell you, go to Vergetti at uptonline.net, submit your questions, and we will provide you with all the answers that you need. Now, let me go on to one other verse here in the book of Acts that will, you will see the madness that goes on. In verse 11, we read, no, let's pick it up in verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Messiah, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Very interesting. We have two men here standing in white apparel who knows that the Messiah will return in this manner. And according to the people who tampered with the book of Acts, his disciples do not know how and when he returns. But here is where they fall flat in their face. Let's go back to Matthew 24 and verse 30. These are the work, once again, of the people who tamper with the scriptures. In verse 30, it says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the land mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and glory. Do you see that the Messiah already informed his disciples that he would return with the clouds of heaven? So who are these two men dressed in white who's telling him something they already know? This is not any news to them. They already know that. I think you can see that. It's pretty straightforward. Let me show you another piece of nonsense that's written here. And uh, we will pick it up in verse 36 of Matthew 24. Here he continued to explain things that would be coming on this earth. Now let's back up to 33. Things that will be coming on this earth prior to his return. They did ask him, what shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. Here is a part of the answer. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. That's a pretty good measuring stick that you get there. When you see the trees in the springtime begin to blossom and bud, you know, you know that summer is nigh. The growing season is upon us. 
He continues in verse 33. He says, like, so likewise you, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. I think that's pretty clear. If I was standing there and listening to this answer, I would know exactly what to look for. He would also return in the clouds of heaven with great power and glory, and the powers of the heavens shall shaken, the stars shall fall from heaven. All these things we have to look forward to. Now catch this. Uh, verse 36 says, But of that day and hour knows no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. How does that line get into this discussion? He just gave them a sequence of events to look for. So that they would wait, he said, so likewise you, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Now it says, but of that day and hour, no man knows, not the angels, but my Father only in heaven. In Mark, the gospel writer says, not the angels in heaven, not the Son, but the Father only. The same people who wrote those things in this Bible, if we, if I may take you back to the book of Acts at this time, here is what they wrote. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. What appears to be a parallel scripture here showing the superiority of the Father to the Son is a part of the lying scheme which they have used to also promote the very first verse in the first chapter of the book of Revelation when it says the revelation of revelation says the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him. Here we have God the Father telling God the Son about future events. That is the kind of nonsense that comes about from the people who tell lies. Now I'll prove that, I will show you that that is a lie. From Zechariah. Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 7. Very important. Because the people who wrote the book of Acts did so several centuries after Zechariah wrote what he wrote in the book that was given to him by the Holy Spirit. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 7. And we read, But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day, not night, but it shall come to pass that at even time it shall be light. Here we have the return of the Messiah to his people, to Jerusalem, bringing the saints with him 
So he knows he is also God. He knows when he will return. So who are the people who write in the Gospel of Mark that not even the Son knows when he would return? That is a lie, a bold-faced lie, which contradicts what's written here in Zechariah. Let me read a bit more of Zechariah 14 so you can see the connection. Zechariah 14, 1 begins like this. Behold, the day of the Lord comes. Isn't that what his disciples asked him about? The day when he would come? It goes on. And your spoil shall be divided in the midst of you. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. David Stearns, in his CJB, says the women shall be raped. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove towards the north and half of it towards the south. And there you have it, right from Zechariah, we are told exactly how the Messiah returns, exactly what happens to the city. Back in Matthew 24, he reminded them of the destruction that would come to the temple, which is exactly what happened back then. That temple has not been restored, as you all know. It was taken away. Many of the people living in the land were removed from the land. They were taken to Rome. They were taken to many other lands around. The Roman armies, who actually slaughtered all the people who ran into that building, thinking that they would be protected, didn't realize that, that those were the days of vengeance because they had rejected the Messiah. Just as he reminded Solomon after the building of his temple, that if you turn away from following me, Look out, temple's coming down. In 70 AD, when that temple came down, there was destruction, there was bloodshed. The writings of first century Hebrew historian Josephus can fill you in on that. You can find that information at Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia, excuse me. So here we have lies in the book that can be plainly shown to be lies by consulting the Old Testament and by showing how they actually contradict themselves even in the New Testament from one book to the other. I very quickly will go over a little bit of time here because I, I wanted to bring you Daniel chapter 12 and show you on the day of first fruits, the festival of first fruits, when the Holy Spirit came down upon the church that was gathered in Jerusalem. The, the lead apostle, Shimon at the time, 
the English translators of the Bible told us to call his name Peter. Those men were all Jews. Not one of them was an Englishman. There were no English apostles, just in case you're not, you were not aware of that. Anyway, let me quickly go on to this point that I'm trying to make here. The apostles were gathered together, and the Holy Spirit came down, and the lead apostle, Shimon, called Peter, mentioned the fact that in the last days, here we go again, last days, the same question that the Messiah answered before. Here are some things that they must look for. It says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 20, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Let me repeat that. The moon into blood. When? Before that great and notable day of the Lord come. Here's the reason why I went to the blood moon. Last Passover, we had a blood moon that came about. All the blood moons, if you can, if you have ever paid attention to them, occur on those festival days. But the one we witnessed last year, 2014, the blood moon signaled a three-and-a-half-year timing recorded in the book of Daniel, the time, times, and a half time. It just so happens that that three-and-a-half-year culminates in the 40th Jubilee year from the birth of the Messiah. That point in time also shows that there were 70 Jubilee years from the Exodus, it also assures that it is one year inside the 70 years mentioned once again in Matthew, this generation shall not pass before all these things come to pass. And along with Zechariah and Matthew 24, when it speaks of Jerusalem being invaded, we today, sorry, have a roadmap that we can use that will point us right to the time of his return. Because three and a half years from the last Passover, it brings us to 2017, and that half a year brings us to October of 2017 on the Day of Atonement. Again, we have a roadmap. You can sit back in your chair you can watch the events, you can watch the evils in this world get worse, you can watch all the violence continue to escalate, not only in America, but all over this world. As Daniel tells us, it would be a time of trouble, since there was not a nation upon the earth, and never would happen again. But there is a classic example of how the Holy Spirit revealed to us even events of the future. So when the people who try to tell us that no man knows the day or the hour, it's simply because those people are ignorant of the scriptures and don't have a clue what they're talking about. I've gone over about a minute, so if we can get our questions now, great. If no questions, don't, don't be afraid. As we always tell people, sometimes you might walk away from the program and you might have a question. 
email us at vergedi, V-E-R-G-E-D-I, at uptonline.net. Give us your questions, and we'll be more than happy to answer them for you. Back to you, Brooke. Thank you, Ken. On this program, Ken Vernon, author of Revelation of Revelation, presented the proof of scriptures to reveal the truth of scriptures. That has been eluding us for millennia, because it was not intended to be revealed until this time. Seeking to learn the truth is what brought you to these programs. You're invited to email uh, Ken, as he just mentioned, with your questions at Vergedi, V-E-R-G-E-D-I, Vergedi at optonline.net. You will soon be able to rejoin us from the Revelation of Revelation website, where the book, Revelation of Revelation, A Total Fraud, is now being published not only in ebook fashion, but also as a published book. And that good news has been coming for some time now and will be here before we know it in maybe the next episode. I do want to mention the ebook is currently available. Go to Amazon.com and type in Ken Rick, K E N R I C K, Kenrick. Vernon, V E R N O N in their search engine bar, and you'll be taken right to the book, Revelation of Revelation. It's easier at this time to put Kenrick Vernon in your search bar because there are many different types of revelation, of revelation topics that would be published and available. However, you want Kenrick Vernon's version, Revelation of Revelation, a total fraud. Let me go over another minute or two since there are no questions this evening and make another statement and that is those who seek the truth are mysteriously brought to others who are seeking the truth it's a law of attraction just as the birds of a feather they fly and flock together while the simplicity of the sparrows and the robins and other flocks of birds come together so do those who seek the truth now, some will be unknowns to us. Some have not tripped across our material, and there are many other pieces of material out there, uh, precept upon precept and another version or a different type of, of events that are kind of revealing, wow. One of the biggest things over the past, say, dozen so years in seeking the truth have been those who believe the Bible is literal, every word. And then there are those who say, it could not be. I don't feel good in believing it because there are just too much variations in all the translations. How can a story be told from beginning to end from so many different dialogues and not have errors in it? Well, there were designed specific errors, and that's where Ken Vernon has aspired to bring this information to us. I'm going to announce a booklet that came across my desk just yesterday and are available on Amazon. But I wanted just to mention this. It's a very extensive, very, very extensive research. And there are facts that he backs this up in a book called The Broken Gift. And it's a harmonizing the Bible and the scientific accounts of human origins. Now, it's not the human origins that I'm so much concerned with here. But in Scripture, and Ken's still with us, I just want to say that to us, one day is to how many years to God that is scripturally 
stated. Ken, do you recall? One day uh, to us is... It would it would appear that a thousand years is like a day. And a very day good. Is, That's exactly what I was looking for. And in this book where this gentleman's name is Daniel Friedman, The Broken Gift, it's called, he gets across a concept that God's time and human time are different. And the fossils that the archaeologists find that are tens of thousands of years old and millions of years, and it goes back to the dinosaur era and on beyond that. And then people come down to the Genesis theory of Scripture and fearing or feeling that God created Adam and Eve, and it went on to this time that we're living in now. But there is proof, so much evidence, through the science community. One and the other, there has to be common sense here, but there also has to be hidden uh, values that we are being made known at this end of the time as well. So there is no controversy here. It's just a booklet that I found and all the backup availability and and showing where this text come from and what theory and, and what studies were shown. And it's amazing that this would come in front of me in a particular time that the scriptures are telling us the truth Great time. based on the scriptures. Great find. If you... If we can spend a couple more minutes, Brooke, I'll jump in on that for you. Go ahead. The the scientists present a better argument regarding creation, regarding how long man has been on this earth. The scientists prevent, prever, uh, present evidence. Just as we have evidence of the dinosaur, we have evidence that man existed before. We don't know how long. There's carbon dating. There is speculation. But none of those things matter. The thing that one needs to go on is to read Genesis with an open mind and not be carried away by the indoctrinations that many have had before reading Genesis, thinking that the earth is only 6,000 years old. The Bible nowhere says that. That is nonsense. Man existed before upon this earth. We have evidence to prove it at any time. However, here is what the creationists, or where the creationists, make their mistake. In Genesis... If you will observe, Adam named the animals. The Creator did not name any of the animals, except to mention the fish in the sea, birds in the air, and that kind of thing. But Adam named the animals. When he created the man, if you pay careful attention to the wording, you will see that he says, let us make man, Man had a name, he existed before, but now he says, let us make man in our image and after all likeness. 
So this man that was made 6,000 years ago is a missing link that the scientist is looking for. In other words, the scientist himself is that missing link. Fighting, you take all the evidence and put them together, and there the picture comes forward. Let us make man in our image. Man existed before, but now let us make him in our image and after our likeness. And that is where that whole problem comes about, and people get crazy with carbon dates and all the rest of it. The evidence is there in history. The Creator did not make, mention anything about dinosaurs, but that does not mean that the dinosaurs didn't exist. He simply didn't mention them. He didn't have to. <laughs> he mentioned to us what he chose to mention. Everyone discredits the Tohu and the Bohu from Genesis. There was an extended period in time when this, arc, this earth was covered in darkness. In the middle of space, exactly where it is now, but covered in darkness. And we don't know how long that period was. Nothing survived on this earth. And the first man that he made, wherever he made that man and all the men that followed that man, they all perished. When that great cataclysmic event took place, again, I don't know exactly how long it was, but that is when the destruction came about and the, the Genesis account was a refurbishing of the earth or a renewing of the earth when he brought the light back when he put the sun, the moon, and the stars, all of them there for signs and for seasons. That's when all those changes came about. So both camps have something valid going for them, but the creationist makes a poor argument. The scientist actually does a better job because the scientist presents evidence. That's my Beautiful. Story. Did I say seek the truth? The simplicity is my part in life and learning simplicity. And Ken Vernon just spoke on behalf of Scripture. I was kind of ad-libbing what I ad-libbed. He brought Scripture to show us that both can exist, the scientists and Scripture. I like to know the truth, and it does set me free. In the last just 10 minutes of this program, Ken Vernon has set us free with a mind that is maybe confused on who is right. They're both right, but of course, for the last 6,000 years, that's what we're all about, and now we are in his image and likeness. And we know, too, that this program now, as reminded by Ken Vernon earlier in the day to me, is one year old. So it's an anniversary of one year we've been presenting these programs, speaking the truth from scriptures. And it is on this kind of an anniversary first year that now the book will be published. And it is now in the past few weeks available online at Amazon. Again, I want to reiterate that the websites are down right now, but soon will be up. That is why we're directing you straight to the book at Amazon. And type in the author's name, Kenrick, K-E-N-R-I-C-K, Vernon. Kenrick Vernon, and up will come Revelation of Revelation. Do that today. And we look forward to our next episode. Always check back here on the Powerful Talk Shoe Network, 
where Revelation of Revelation is hosted and all programs are archived. Until our next program, we bid you a very good evening and look forward to our return. Good night, everyone. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.